Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this, now faith is the substance. Everyone say substance. Substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I just want to camp right there for a minute. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. I heard someone say this past week that hope is the oxygen to faith. Hope is the oxygen to faith. And when you lose hope, faith cannot be stirred up. When you lose your hope in something, your faith dies along with it. Faith is fueled by hope. And so I want to encourage you this morning, get your hopes up. Get your hopes up in spite of a a challenge, in spite of what you need to see, in spite of where you might be at. You got to keep your hopes up. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence, everyone say evidence, evidence of things not seen. One thing that I have found out in my life is that I will go on excursions to collect evidence evidence for whatever I want to believe, that the mind has a way of believing what it wants, and it will collect evidence to prove its position. Not what's reality, but what I want it to seem like, or what I want it to sound like, or what I want it to look like. If you want your life to uh, uh, depict struggle and trials and issues and challenges, even if things are going relatively well. Have you ever tried to talk to someone that was just super pessimistic, that everything was negative? I mean, nothing that you could, it doesn't matter what color the sky was. I mean, if the If there was no cloud in the sky, they complain about the heat. If it was raining, they complain about how wet it was. Have you ever been around those kind of people? And what they do is they go on excursions to collect evidence to prove how bad it really is. I have discovered in my life that I can find excuses or I can find reasons. I can find reasons to be happy or I can find excuses not to be. It's up to us. It's up to us. And it says that faith is the evidence. Evidence supports a conclusion. Evidence is not the conclusion, but evidence will support the conclusion. And so what I've found in my life is whatever conclusion I want to arrive at, I will collect evidence to support that conclusion, whether it's reality or not. I can go, I can find evidence. I can find an excuse not to love my spouse. I can find a reason to love my spouse. I mean, everyone right now, whatever situation you're at, you can come up with excuses of why things are, or you can find reasons for why things are. Whatever predicament you're in, 
I don't care how good it is. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care uh, 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 what the last three months have been like. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't care if it's, it, you've been just over the moon at the top. I mean, it's just never been better than this or you feel like you're at the bottom, you're in the pit. There's no way out. Either way, you can find an excuse or you can find a reason. You can find an excuse not to raise a hallelujah or you can force yourself to find a reason to raise a hallelujah to open your mouth, to give a shout, to give a praise, to to say in the middle of the mystery, which means I don't know how. Fear, you've lost your hold on me. Or I can find an excuse to remain in fear. An excuse to remain in a trial. Excuse to remain in a struggle. I can find an excuse or I can find a reason. It says this in verse two, for by it, That's faith, it is the faith. So for by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. One one translation says they obtained a good report. For by faith, they obtained a good report. When is the last time you obtained a report by faith? Because most of us will wait for the conclusion of the matter to give us the report. I don't have a report until I see how this thing turns out. But it says that they didn't obtain a report by its conclusion. They didn't obtain the report by how it all ended up being. It says that they actually obtained the report before they ever went in to whatever it was. So if your report If you're waiting to receive a report after, the report doesn't come after the miracle. The report brings the miracle. You better get this today. I'm here to stir your faith up today. I'm here to build your hope today. The report doesn't tell me what God uh, has done. The report tells me what God has yet to do. And then everything else has to line up with God's report. Everything else has to line up with what he says. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. In, 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 in bad situations, they got a good report. In bad circumstances, they obtained a good report. In, in bad predicaments, they obtained a good report. I'm here to tell you today that there's already a report I'm here to report to you. Ain't fake news. I'm not a fake news reporter. I'm giving you the real news, what the word of God says. You got to get to this. They obtained the report before they obtained the miracle. Because you wouldn't be able to say for by faith they obtained a report if it came after the miracle. That's not faith. That's reality. that's, That's what I see. So faith brings the miracle. Faith brings the report of what God is wanting to do. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Hope fuels faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. 
That means if you see it, it's not faith. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, you've seen this before. It says this. In the New King James, it says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith is the evidence of things not seen. Then it says that faith comes by what? Hearing. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? A good report. Faith comes by hearing. Faith is destroyed by seeing. Faith is destroyed by seeing. This is what you gotta see. Faith comes by hearing, by what I hear. Faith does not come because all of a sudden I see something in my life that begins to align with what I believe. Oh, now I'm now, oh God, I believe you can do it because the, the doctor, I went to the doctor and, 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 and three months ago they said that it was stage four cancer and, and today they said that it's, it's starting to progress. No, that's not faith. Faith comes by what I hear, not by what I see. Faith, you never arrive at faith because of what you see with your eyes. You never arrive at faith because of what you see with your eyes. In fact, just the opposite will happen in your life. It will actually destroy your faith. It will actually begin to deteriorate your faith if you're living by what you see. If you have to see the finances start to turn around, it's no longer faith. If you have to see uh, uh, the, the, the physical uh, ailment in your body starting to disappear, that's not faith. Faith comes by hearing, it says. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing what? Hearing the word of God. Hearing the word of God. You understand that this book has already come to the conclusion of whatever you're going through right now? Wherever you're at in life right now, this book already has the answer. The worst thing that I was ever told as a student growing up was that I had to do the even answers for homework. Because it was the odd questions that had the answers in the back. The worst thing I ever heard growing up was, I want you to do numbers one through 24 even. That meant I didn't have a cheat sheet. That meant I didn't. But I'm telling you today, you've got a cheat sheet. This one's got the answers in the back. It says we win. It says we overcome. It says that he always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. It tells us that my faith will overcome the world. It tells us to be cheerful that even though there might be trials and tribulations, he has overcome the world. It tells me that I win. I've got the answers in the back. Look at your neighbor and say, I've got the answers in the back. Any problem, odd problems, even problems, doesn't matter. The answers are in the back. I said the answers are in the back. The answers are in the back. This is a conclusion. God isn't figuring this out along with us, guys. It's over. It's done. It is finished. When he said it is finished, he meant it is finished. He didn't come back up out of the grave and say, just kidding, not done yet. 
No, he said, it is finished. This was pointed out to me this week, that from the time Jesus rose from the grave until he ascended into heaven, he did not do one more miracle. He didn't teach one more message. All he did was hang out with people. And then gave them instructions to go and wait for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And then he issued them, commanded them, transferred his authority to them and said, now you go do everything that I've spent three and a half years doing with you. Everything you saw in me, go and preach, go and teach, go and do. For three and a half years, the disciples were working with Jesus. After Jesus rose from the grave, Jesus was working with them. Jesus is working with you. You're not working with Jesus. Jesus is working with you. Heaven is working with you. Heaven is backing you up now. Heaven is saying whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. This is now the order of how this takes place. Well, how do we do this? By faith. By faith, I obtain a good report. Not because I see it, not because all of a sudden things start turning around. In fact, if, the, if I'm waiting to see it, my faith is, is no longer active. My faith is null and void. My faith is not actually working and doing what it's called to do because faith doesn't live in what you see. Faith lives in what you hear, even when it's contrary to what you see. So faith comes by hearing, but faith is destroyed by seeing. So now I want to take you to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. And Numbers is kind of a sad book. It's a sad season for the people of God. And in Numbers chapter 13, we kind of come to a culmination here. Up until this point, if you read chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12. There's a lot of griping and complaining. One translation says whining. Yep. Complaining about the food. In fact, they were so distraught, these Israelites that have now come out of Egypt, come out of generations, hundreds of years of bondage and slavery. And they're so distraught that they're actually desiring to go back to Egypt. Sometimes when you're walking out the plan of God for your life, where you came from looks better than where you're headed. In fact, I would present this to you. You're not really in faith if you don't ever have a desire to go back. The plan of God that's in front of you, the purpose of God that's in front of you is so great, so large, so can seem so insurmountable, can seem so magnanimous that, that look, when your faith is really challenged, even bondage looks better than victory. 
Because the wilderness, the journey to get from where you were to where you're going presents challenges. That even the, 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 the labor and the pain and the bondage and the slavery and the, the, the and then even the, the mental breakdown of being in bondage to another people, such a strong people for so long, seeing no way out begins to actually look more desirable than the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land that was so large and, and so massive that it could house the entire nation, the land that God had promised to Abraham and to their forefathers, their ancestors years before. In Numbers chapter 11, it was all brought on by food. Food. By Numbers chapter 11, God had already started to give them manna. Manna. And when manna first came, man, it was awesome. Man, this, this is amazing stuff. They didn't even know what it was. They had to make up a name for it. Falling on the ground, was on the ground every morning when they woke up. Bed in breakfast. I mean, you can't get any better than that. God can't make it any easier for that. He's not even just giving them the ingredients and then they have to go and cook it or make it. It's already prepared. It's fixed. And, you know, it's amazing when God begins to answer your prayers. It's amazing when God begins to do things in your life. It's amazing when something that you once desired and once that you once needed, that God starts meeting that need. But then in Numbers chapter 11, they began whining and complaining because even the manna tasted gross. Why can't we have any meat, they said. We just want some meat. When are we gonna get some meat? They began crying out to Moses. Moses even turned around and, 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 and said to God, why, why have you brought me out here with these crazy people? Place this burden on me like I'm the one that's gonna, I'm not a chef, I'm not a cook. Why did you put this on me? I, I didn't ask for this. He has that conversation with God. They're whining and complaining. They're all, it, it said that the whole nation was at the front of their tent, at the doorway of their tent, complaining to Moses about, we just want some meat. We just want some meat. Then they even said this, back in Egypt, man, we had fish. You remember that fish that we had? See, your mind will collect evidence to support whatever conclusion you have already come to. So if you want to believe that Egypt's better than the promised land, then you will collect evidence to support that Egypt is better. Remember the fish? Remember the zucchini? Remember the cucumbers? It's in there. Numbers chapter 11. Remember the, the, the salads we had? Man, man, we had three square meals a day. You remember that? They didn't remember once the pain. They didn't talk about the, the whips that opened up their back. They didn't talk about the slavery and bondage and the labor and the turmoil and, the, and all the struggle. No, they're talking about the food in Egypt. And we'll do that. We'll get to a place in our lives and that where, where we will find an excuse to go back to Egypt rather than a reason to pursue the promised land. 
would do this. And the, the thing that we prayed for, gotta be careful with this because the thing we prayed for today might be the thing we complain about tomorrow. This is the nature of human reasoning. This is the, the disintegration of human nature is that we, we pray for one thing and then when it arrives, it comes with its challenges and it comes with its issues and it comes with, because nothing comes challenge free. God doesn't give you anything in just a ready position. He brought that manna, but that's not what God designed his people to do is just sit around in the wilderness and have be waited on hand and foot. That's not what God brought the Israelites out of Egypt for. Can I get you any more manna, sir? No, I would like some meat coming right up. Let me get you some meat. I've got it in the fryer. I'll, I'll bring that fish right on out to you. Anything else? Can, can I get? He's not your waiter. He doesn't sit you down and hand you a menu. He, he says, you want it? Go conquer it, defeat it, beat it, and then put it in a submission and take control of it. And then manage it and steward over it the way I would steward over it. That's God's plan. Anything in life that we, whether it's a marriage, whether it's finances, a business, uh, 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 whatever you're believing God for, whatever you think that God has brought you, has, has for you, he doesn't give it to you in, 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 in complete form. He doesn't give you trees, he gives you seed. And it's up to you to plant the seed. He gives you the ingredients and then you put it together. So in the wilderness, he was showing them, look, I'm gonna fulfill. I, I am here to be a blessing to you. I have great things in store for you, but things weren't gonna be like they were in the wilderness forever. They were gonna have to learn how to go and get it for themselves and start working it and start putting their hand to the plow, not looking back, as Jesus said. So Numbers is a, Sad book, and in verse one of Numbers 13, I'm gonna read this to you from the, the New Living Translation. It says, and the Lord now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan. Watch this, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Do y'all see that? The land I am giving. Now, if God says, I'm giving this land to you, do you think he plans to give them the land? Anybody with me? Do you think he's gonna pull it back at the last second? Is this a trick just to get them in there and say, ha ha, just kidding, you're on your own. In fact, later on after this generation, he says to Joshua, raises up another leader because these guys obviously fail. You know the end of this story. I'm not uh, 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 messing anything up for you. Joshua have to raise up a new leader, a new generation. They go in and even in Joshua, he says, I will give you the land. Everywhere the sole of your foot treads, it's yours. It's yours, it belongs to you. So they have a word from God, right? All they have right now is a word. They don't have a title deed. They didn't go to the bank and sign papers and say, yep, there's the land Canaan. All right, now go, go get it. 
No, he's saying, I want you to go explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Here's what I want you to see. He's not wanting them to explore the land to see if they will take it. He's wanting them to explore the land to see how they should take it. This isn't an if conversation. My dad used to have those kind of talks with me. Now, we're not discussing if you're going to do this. We're discussing when and how you're going to get it done. We're not discussing if you're getting a spanking when we get home. We're going to discuss how. This isn't an if conversation. My dad had a lot of those conversations with me, believe it or not. I'm sure many of you have as well. God is not having an if conversation. Go, go check it out. See what you think. See, if, see, see, you know, let me know what you think. I mean, if you don't like it, hey, we go on and do something. It's not, there's no option, just obligation. Go explore the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So one from each of the 12 tribes, that means we're gonna send 12 men into the promised land that God is what? I am giving. I am is giving. I am giving. I will deliver you. I will bring you out of Egypt. I will bring you through the wilderness. I will take you into the promised land. This is a conclusion. This, this thing is over. When God speaks his word, he's not trying to figure out how he's going to make it happen. The Bible says that he who promised is faithful to perform that which he promised. This is the promised ED, past tense, land. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. Now I want you to skip on down to verse 16. These are the names of the men Moses sent out to explore the land. Verse 17. Now listen to the instructions that Moses gave. This is very important. Remember, they're going into a land that God has already promised them, right? We're on the same page. They're not going into this land and God's not sending them in to determine if they're gonna take it, but how they're gonna take it. Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. Now look at this. See what the land is like. See what the land is like. And find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls? Or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? And then watch this. Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. 
It happened to be. Everybody say, it just happened to be. It just happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. God instructs Moses to send these 12 men into the wilderness or into the promised land from the wilderness. The land that he is giving them. But he never instructed them to categorize the land. Didn't instruct them to find out if it's strong or weak. Let me ask you, if the land is weak, is it still their land? If the land is strong, is it still their land? If the land has few people, is it still their land? If the land has many people, is it still their land? If the land is good, is it still theirs? If the land is bad, is it still theirs? If the land is fortified, is it theirs? If the land is unsecured, is it theirs? If the land is fertile, is it theirs? Is the la- if the land is poor, is it theirs? So what's the point of categorizing the promise? But this is what we do. We go in collecting evidence to support whatever conclusion we want to come to. Our evidence doesn't... Do- Let me tell you something. Your evidence doesn't deter God's promise. I don't care what you find in the land. God doesn't really care if it's good or if it's bad. God, we went in, it's actually not doing too well. Oh man, sorry, I sent you the wrong address. Let Let me Google this one. But you had it in your GPS wrong. I need you to come over here. Because that would be bad. You went to the wrong place. No, they went into the land, up through the Negev, into the hill country, just as God had commanded, just as God had instructed. But now Moses has them categorizing the promise. And this is what we do. We categorize the promise. Oh, that must not be God. And we try to predetermine what we think God wants for us based upon the evidence we collect. And the evidence I collect will determine if I find an excuse not to go or a reason to go. It's all resting upon the evidence I collect. Now these these categories can help me in how I should take the land, but they are not there to help me determine if I should take the land. I'm taking the land regardless. We're going in regardless. It doesn't matter what we see. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter how it turns out. It doesn't matter uh, uh, if, if they've got tall walls or if they're just wide open, ready for us to take them out. It doesn't matter if there's a few people or if there's a multitude of people. It doesn't matter if, it's, if they're strong and man, these guys are battle ready or if they have no clue what they're doing. It doesn't matter if there's giants or if there's infants. It doesn't matter if the ground is poor or if the ground is, is, is doing well and it, it produces great crops. It doesn't matter. We're taking it. 
Because my conclusion, my evidence doesn't rest in what I see. It rests in what I heard regardless of what I see. And so your sight will actually be counterproductive to you. Whatever you're believing God for right now, your sight will lie to you. Your sight will deceive you. Your sight will talk. Did you know that your sight can talk to you? That what you see will start talking? So this is why I've got to be grounded and founded in what I what? What I heard. Because faith doesn't come by what I see. Faith comes by what I hear. But faith will be destroyed if I go in trying to categorize, you have to come to the conclusion before you ever, ever take one step into the promised land. You have to decide already, this is mine. This, they are in my house. That is my miracle. That belongs to me. That is what God said belongs to me. That is mine. It may be in the possession of somebody else, but by faith, I'm going to take hold of it. Not because of what I see, but because of what I've heard. But see, since they lived this life for so long now, of having to live their life based upon the evidence that was around them, See, man, when you live life by evidence, when you live life by reality, it's such a lousy way to live. Substandard, below what God has for you. It is, it just is. And for over 400 years, and of course, none of them have lived 400 years, but you know that stuff gets passed down generation to generation to generation. A mentality, a thought process set in that we can't ever be greater than what's around us and we always have to allow others to tell us who we are and what we're supposed to do. He lived this way for 400 plus years in bondage and slavery to the Egyptians, broken down in their minds. And even though God was able to deliver them out of Egypt, he was not able to get Egypt out of them. He was not able to get the slave mentality, bondage mentality out of their mindset. And so they approached everything by what they saw. Slaves become spies. Slaves become spies. Slaves go into an area and they have to see it to believe it. That's a slave. You know you're a slave. You know you're in bondage when you have to see it to believe it. Jesus came back after uh, uh, being raised from the dead, came to his disciples. One of them was missing, Thomas. Good old Thomas. And what was Thomas's words when the disciples told him Jesus was just here? Jesus was with us. He showed up right here. We saw him. Unless I what? See the nail prints in his hands. Unless I can put my hand in his side. I won't believe it. And what did Jesus say? Blessed are those that believe 
but have not seen. Slaves have to see it to believe it. Slaves live by what the surroundings tell them. That's slavery. That's bondage. That's not freedom. Some people might call that smart. Some people might call that stewardship. God does not call it. God calls that doubt. God calls that slavery. God calls that bondage. And what God wants to do today is he wants to deliver you from the slavery of seeing. God wants to deliver us from being a slave to our sight, a slave to what I see, a slave to how I feel, a slave to everything aligning on the outside. But I want you to know today that God has called you out of slavery, out of bondage, out of having to live by what the Egyptians give you. I don't care if they gave you fish or stripes on your back. It doesn't matter. They don't have anything for you. God's got a better life, greater life for you. And it's beyond what you can see. But you'll never walk in what God has for you if you're limited by your sight. The opposite of faith is not doubt, it is sight. The opposite of faith is sight. Faith is living where I cannot see. Doubt, unbelief, fear are a result, byproduct of living by my sight. So when it's good, I'm good. When it's bad, I'm bad. When it's up, I'm up. When it's down, I'm down. We call that a roller coaster. And that's the most sickening way to live your life. Well, he hasn't told me he loves me in three weeks. But did God tell you that that marriage belongs to you? Did God give you the promise that he would restore it? Did God give you the promise he would heal it? Did God give you a promise that he would do a work in that man's heart that only he can do? Quit trying to do God's job for him. But this is what happens. The disintegration of human nature is that we will collect evidence to support the conclusions that we arrive to. You know, I have found in my life every time that God puts a promise in my spirit, my mind finds an excuse. You can be sure that the second your spirit rests on God's promise, your mind will find an excuse. You can be sure of it. The first thing, God tells me what I'm called to do. The second thing, I find a reason why it's not true. And now it's up to me to collect the evidence to support whatever conclusion I want to arrive at. If I want to arrive at the conclusion that God's promise is sure, that God's gonna do what he said he's gonna do, then I will explore the land, finding evidence, finding reasons to support the conclusion. 
But if I arrive at the conclusion that that's too big, that's too great, you've got the wrong person, I'm not skilled enough, I'm not educated enough, I don't have enough money, I don't have the right relationships, they don't even know me, there's no way I could do that. God, you don't know my past, you don't know my history, how could someone from this small of a place ever do this? I can find whatever uh, 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 evidence I want to support whatever conclusion I want to arrive at. I can find a reason to walk out God's promise or I can find an excuse to stay stuck where I'm at. It's up to us. So these 12 men, they go in. But God never asked them to categorize his promise. He asked them to take hold of the promise. And it says something interesting here. He gave them the instruction to spy out the land, to, is it good or bad, few or many, fortified, not fortified. But then he gives this last instruction. Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. And this is what it says in parentheses in the New Living Translation. It says, and it happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes just happened to be. Just coincidence. But here's the thing about seasons. Seasons come and seasons go. We have four seasons. Not here, literally. But the earth, the world, has four seasons. We have two. Hot and not hot. And not hot lasts for about one week. And the rest is, but uh, I just came back from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And uh, right now, it's a beautiful season. I can tell you, I spied out the promised land. Let's go. Let's go right now. Pack your bags. It was amazing. 40s, 50s, fresh Mountain air, 9,500 feet above sea level. Breathtaking views. Anybody been to Colorado? See, the rest of y'all are having to live by faith right now because you haven't seen it. Some of y'all are like, I'll see it when I, I'll believe it when I see it. No, you'll see it when you believe it. But uh, they are in an amazing season. Right now, I'm not going to lie. Landing back in Jacksonville, Florida, Friday night, 9 o'clock at night, and it was warmer there than it was at the warmest part of the day in Colorado. Little disappointing, not going to lie to you. I almost got back on the plane. <laughs> Take me back. Let's go. I'll, I'll live stream from Colorado this weekend. Pikes Peak in, in the background. It's a beautiful season right now. But in a few months, all those beautiful roads that we just took are gonna be covered in snow and might look good on a postcard. But my dad grew up in Long Island, New York and moved to Texas when he joined the service and he said, I will never go back. He said, I will never shovel another pile of snow 
I will never scrape off ice off a windshield. They, they, we got in the car and they had a, a ice scraper thing in the car. And I was like, oh, look, they gave us back scratchers. I mean, what is that? I don't, what am I supposed to do with that? Oh, that's if it gets cold enough for ice. Are you serious? It's October. It's 97 back home. What's ice? Got to go in the freezer to get that. We have to manufacture that. It just comes natural over there. I tell you what, if you make a decision based off of a season, there will come a time when that season will leave because seasons come and seasons go. Tommy just told me that just a few months ago, I think August, you said he was in Denver, 97 degrees. I said, well, you missed out. You got to look at the calendar before you make these trips, man. You got to go in October. It was beautiful. But those yellow and red and orange leaves will die and it'll become barren. And, 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 and the, the season that it is today, you make a decision to go into something based on just simply a season, then don't be surprised in about three to four months when you don't like the season you're in anymore. Anybody, anybody ever heard of the honeymoon season? Everything has a honeymoon season. Your job has a honeymoon season. Parenting has a honeymoon season. Uh, uh, the church has a honeymoon season. For all of our brand new vision partners. Right now, we're the best church you've ever, just give it about six months. I'll say something, you're like, oh, don't like him anymore. Jeez. <laughs> just, just give it a little while. All of our long tenured people are like, yep, yep, he will say something. Yeah, because everything has a season. Seasons are deceptive. It just happened to be the season for ripe grapes. Guess what? It's not always going to have ripe grapes. But yet you want that to be your evidence that you collect. You want that to be the samples that you bring back. Oh, look at these awesome grapes. Look at, look at this. So large that we had to carry it on a pole between two people. What is that? Sight. Sight needs samples. Faith doesn't. Faith doesn't need samples. Faith doesn't need to see something that aligns with God's word, to believe in God's word. Faith never goes out of season. See, God's word is the only consistent, constant thing we have. If we took over that business because everything was flourishing, well, guess what? One day it's not. There's hills and there's valleys. If we move to that place because everything was growing or we leave that one place because everything was dying, well, guess what? Where you just went to, will eventually die. And where you just left, will eventually come back to life. I was just talking with... Mike back here, before service, talking about seasons. And he's a farmer. He knows about seasons. You don't harvest in the spring. You plant in the spring. 
Every farmer looks like a joke from between February to about October, depending on what you're planting. But then when the harvest comes, but there's seasons, good seasons, bad seasons, fruitful seasons, dead seasons, flourishing seasons, not so flourishing seasons. Your marriage has seasons. Your family has seasons. You know, God, God gave me this word a while back. He said, the reason why you're having such a hard time raising kids, he's talking to me, is because you're trying to raise kids. I said, what? <laughs> yes. No, he said, you're not raising kids. You're raising a husband. You're raising someone's wife. You're raising a business person. So as long as you look at them in the season that they're in, not seeing what the eventually potentially will become, then you'll always be stuck in the season that you see it in. You'll always live at the season that you live in. But guess what? He's not always going to be an eight-year-old kid that back talks to me every day. I mean, you know, in our house, we read the Bible and pray all day. I don't know what y'all are doing. <laughs> yeah. Just got back from Colorado. Hadn't seen him all week. Bought him a brand new pair of baseball cleats while I was gone. I shipped to the house. Showed it to him on the day that we got back. Oh, awesome. Bye. Thank you. I'm so grateful. Oh, you're just the most amazing man I've ever seen in my life. Thank you so No. He puts on a basketball outfit and goes outside and plays basketball. I said, put your cleats on right now. We're going to play catch. What's wrong with you? buy you baseball cleats to go throw in the closet and then go play basketball. Jeez. Oh my gosh. But if I always see him in the season they're in, then I will collect evidence to support my conclusion. And it might be evidence today. It might be an excuse tomorrow. The evidence I collect today might become an excuse tomorrow. Just happened to be the season for the first ripe grape. So they go through the land. Verse 23 says that they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. Exclamation mark. Yay! They also brought back samples of the pomegranates and figs and they even named the place verse 25 and after exploring the land for 40 days the men returned to Moses Aaron the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran they reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land they what reported they reported to the whole community what they had what? Seen and what? Showed them the fruit. They reported 
And then they showed them what they had seen. Now, is my faith built in these 12 spies and what they see? It will be if I haven't supplanted it already in God's word. See, you gotta be careful when you go exploring land. See, you're not going into the land to get a report. You're going into the land with a report. Please get this today. And if you don't, download it and listen to it until you do. Faith comes by hearing, not by seeing. Faith comes by what I hear. God said, go into the land, send 12 men into the land that I am giving you. You don't need samples when you already have God's word. You don't need evidence when you already have God's word. Faith is the evidence. My faith in God's word is the evidence that he's already given it to me. I don't need to see one thing turn. I don't need a, 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 a banker to call me and tell me, man, things are looking great. I, uh, uh, interest rates have gone down. Uh, you know, the price of this is gone. I don't need any of that mess. I just need God's word. If he said I'm gonna be successful, I'm gonna be successful. If he said I'm gonna be healed, I am healed. By his stripes, I was healed. My faith in what I heard is the evidence. I don't need to cut down grapes and bring them back and show. Look what the doctor said. So many of us, our faith is limited to the report, hoping it aligns with what we know God said. The report doesn't confirm the promise. The report is the promise, regardless of what I see. Faith comes by hearing. Seasons come and go. Just happened to be a season where there were large, huge grapes, so big that they had to carry them on a pole. But now they're bringing these samples. Now they're showing the whole community. Look what we brought. Well, now I've just lowered, limited my faith to what I see. Even though the report was good, listen to me. Even a good report can deter your faith. Because if you put your faith in the report of the grapes, if you put your faith in the report of the positive things you saw, guess what's going to happen? It indeed is a bountiful country a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. Verse 28. While the grapes, the grapes are right there where they can see them. Look at these massive grapes. Verse 28. But the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. And we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Grapes and giants. It's got grapes. It's also got giants. 
It's got some good stuff. It's also got some not so good stuff. We might enjoy the grapes, but the giants are going to kill us. Come on. Because if you put your faith in the grapes, well, you've got to put your faith in the giants. I mean, if I'm going to live by sight with the positive, guess what? I'm going to have to live by sight with the negative. Are the grapes the evidence you're collecting? Are the giants the evidence you're collecting? And sure, the community could have gotten together and said, uh, let's find a reason to go enjoy the grapes. And they could have said, let's find an excuse to not get slayed by giants. Grapes and giants. That's the title of my message. Grapes and giants. Because everything in your life, every promise God has given you, everywhere God has called you to go to, there's grapes and there's giants. What's the evidence you're going to collect? There's grapes. The bountiful, producing, harvest greater than anything. I mean, they didn't have grapes like this back in Egypt. It really is a land flowing with milk and honey. And that even confirmed God's word. Because he told them, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. He told you, by your stripes, you're healed. And even if a doctor gives you a positive report, things are moving in the right direction, you better be careful because now if your faith is aligned with that doctor's report, it might be a season, but the season does not determine God's word. The season is not final. God's word is final. I remember when Jesus uh, went, uh, uh, Mary and Martha called for Jesus, their brother Lazarus was on the deathbed dying, said, please come, heal him. And it said Jesus waited, waited so long that he missed the opportunity to heal Lazarus. And Lazarus died. In fact, he died and was then dead for four days. But Jesus made this statement when Mary and Martha first reached out to him. He said, this sickness is not unto death, but it's for the glory of God. Now, God didn't put the sickness on him. I'm gonna teach Lazarus a lesson. And when he comes back from the dead, he'll never do that again. That's not God's approach. But he said, I will get glory out of it. One translation says, this sickness will not end in death. For the longest time, I was like, I struggled with that because well, death is the end. He died, all right, that's it. But not to God. Not to God. He needed to convince his people that death was not an end because Jesus was gonna die and he was gonna be dead only three days. So if I can raise a man after four, I can surely bring a man after three. 
You might be sitting in this room today and it's dead. It's no longer producing life. It's null and void. You've already trashed it. You've gotten rid of it. And God is saying, I'm not done. I'm the resurrection and the life. Resurrection's not an event. Resurrection's a person. And he's in this room today to bring back to life. You've given up on it, but he hasn't. Is this helping anybody today? What evidence are you collecting? Might be your marriage. You've given up on it. It's done. It's over. It's finished. It's dead. I've even told people divorce doesn't mean it's over. I've seen God restore marriages after they were divorced. I've seen it. He will do it. So we've got grapes. We've also got giants. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. So what are they doing? They're just listing evidence. They didn't realize it, but they brought back samples of grapes, but they also brought back samples of giants. They also brought back samples of turmoil. They brought back samples of of the negative. They brought, that's probably why it's called the negev. It's just a bunch of negative responses. But Hebrews 11 verse two says, for by faith, they obtained a good report. Not by what they saw, not by what they went in. Who is they? Who's they? Who are these men of old, these elders? But Caleb, verse 30, tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We certainly can conquer it. He's not negating the evidence they came away with. He's not saying, no, I didn't see any giants. What are you talking about? I didn't see any. All we have is these graves. He didn't try to negate any of that. He says, I don't care what we saw in there. Let's go at once. We can take it. We can conquer it. It belongs to us. That's our land. They're living in our stuff. Faith doesn't deny the facts. Faith is greater than the facts. I don't care what the bank account looks like today. I don't care what the marriage looks like today. I don't care what the doctor said on Friday. I don't care what report you got. It's not greater than the report that is his. He's already determined the report. He said, I am giving you the land. And he didn't put any stipulations on it. There's no fine print at the bottom. As long as there are no Amalekites, Jebutites, Hittites, termites. It's yours. Look at your neighbor say, it's yours. It's yours. It's yours. Point to yourself. It's mine. That's my land. That's my stuff. What are you doing in my stuff? What are you doing with my stuff? And I don't need to go collect evidence to support God's word. God's word is the report. I'm not going to get a report. I'm going with a report regardless of what I see. This is my stuff. But the other men who had explored the land with him, 
disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. Verse 32, so they spread this, what? Bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. They were called to develop it. Now all they can see is themselves being devoured by it. All the people we saw were huge. There were three giants. Go back and read it later. There were three. All the people, you ever met that person? Everything's falling apart all the time. It's always gonna be horrible. Everyone's doing it. One person did it. Who's everyone? Why? Because we collect evidence and anything, anything that will help support the evidence, anything that will help support the report that I come to. They're finding an excuse not to go. Caleb's found a reason to go. The reason is the report. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. They had to say it a second time. (laughs) Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. You gotta be careful. The explorations. See, they went on an exploration with their feet, but they also went on an exploration with their mind. What'd you do, pull over a giant and ask him? Hey, what do we look like to you guys? You're just a little grasshopper. Good, that's what I thought. What kind of statement is that? And why are you consulting your enemy to determine your identity? (laughs) Since when do I ask my problem who I am? Since when do I ask my challenge what I'm capable of? My gosh. If you're not getting something I am, I'm buying this tape. I'm buying this CD. Golly. And that's what they thought too. See, here's the thing. If you need a report, if you need a report to encourage your faith, don't be surprised when the report discourages your faith. Worship team, if you come. If you need a report to build your faith, don't be surprised when it's the very thing that tears down your faith. If you have to live by sight to determine your faith, don't be surprised when your sight destroys your faith. We're gonna raise a hallelujah. 
in the middle of a mystery. You've come up out of the grave. But this is the people, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. New King James says, for we walk by what? Faith. For we walk by faith and not by sight. The New Living puts it this way. We live by believing, not by seeing. Some of you have let your seeing do the talking. You've been a slave to your sight. You've become a slave to what you see. You've become a slave to the report. Colossians chapter three, verse one. Colossians chapter three and verse one. If then you were raised with Christ. Do I have anybody raised with Christ in here today? If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are what? Above. Guys, our seeking, our seeking, what are you seeking? Where are you seeking? Where are you seeking to collect your evidence today? Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.